You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. I'm going to be speaking just on this topic. God is love. God is love. Amen. And just before we begin into the word of the Lord, if we could all join our voices to one more time together and begin to pray. God, we are so thankful once again that we are able to lift up our voices together in prayer here this morning to you. We ask that you would have your hand on every single aspect of this service from beginning until the end. God, I pray, Lord, that you would allow your word to resonate in our hearts. God, to be planted deep within us. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each and every one of us here this morning. Let your will be done in our hearts and our lives here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The hope of law is to help people live orderly in civil lives. You see this in Scripture. For people to live in harmony, Moses' teaching was outlined in 613 laws to build community among the Hebrews. About 400 years later, King David in the 15th Psalm, he highlighted 11 of these. And Isaiah, in the opening chapter, he brings light to six. And then in Micah, we see in chapter 6, verse 8, that he talks about three. He says to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly before your God. Then a religious professional asked Jesus, which is the greatest law? His intent was to get the Lord into trouble with the leaders who controlled social and religious practices. But Christ's answer came as such a surprise. He, He brought it all down to this. He says in Matthew chapter 22, verse 38, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. And I apologize for our scriptures that we've got there. It's only wanting to show you the black words and not the white one, uh, not the uh, red ones as well. The the words of Christ in red. So we apologize for that. We will have that fixed. He answers by saying that the greatest law is to love. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter, he learns that God's love is not prejudice. It's not. God loves all people. Did you hear me this morning? God loves all people. Amen. And as a follower of the Lord, Peter is forced to overcome his own prejudice. God chose the Israelites out of all the people in the world to share the message that God has thrown open the windows of heaven to sinners. And instead, they took this privilege and made it exclusive to them first. They became prideful to the point of viewing themselves above other people of the world. They would have nothing for example, to do with the Samaritans, who they considered half-breeds. Despite Peter's conversion to Christ, he still had some deep-seated issues that he had to get past. 
God, he powerfully challenges Peter's assumptions about people who weren't of Jewish descent. Acts chapter 10, it tells us of a story of a Gentile man named Cornelius that served the Lord faithfully. And on this one night, Cornelius received a visit from an angel that told him that God had heard his prayers. Can you imagine what an encounter like that would be? An encounter by an angel of the Lord that just just would tell you that God has been listening to what you've been praying. God's heard everything that you've prayed. Let me tell you here this morning that God knows what you've been praying. Amen. He knows the desires of your heart. This angel tells him about a man named Peter, and it's going to be Peter that will tell him what you ought to do. Well, this is transpiring. God is beginning to deal with Peter's heart so that he would open up the door to Cornelius. Peter, he's on his housetop at about noon praying. The city to which Cornelius' men were sent to find him is Joppa, 30 miles north of Caesarea. Joppa is where the prophet Jonah boarded a ship so many years before this and sought to escape the commission of taking the saving message to his enemies, the Ninevites. There had been a long line of prejudice that was not that, that was running wildly from generation to generation. But there was only one way to handle it. Cornelius' message was so serious that these men, they must have traveled through the night just to reach Joppa by morning, by noon. Noon was not one of the fixed times of prayers for Jews, but many of the devout Jews prayed at noon. And this is where we find Peter. Peter, he's waiting to eat, as all of you here this morning, I'm sure, are. And he became hungry and wanted to eat. The Bible tells us in verse 10 of Acts chapter 10. But while they were preparing something, he went into a trance. He went into a visionary state. While the food was being prepared, Peter had a vision. And it says in verse 11, he saw heaven opened and an object coming down that resembled a large sheep being lowered to the earth by its four corners. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, he said, for I have never eaten anything common and unclean. He saw in this vision all sorts of creatures, creatures that were considered clean and also creatures that were considered unclean. And the voice told him to eat from this selection, and Peter was horrified. He was told to eat food he had been taught all of his life, was unclean. And in verse 15, the story goes on to say, and again a second time a voice said to him, what God has made clean, you must not call common. This happened three times. And then the object was taken up into heaven. He had to have this vision three times in order to get beyond the shock to hear the real message of what God was trying to say to him. God was trying to remove a barrier. God was trying to get through to Peter about a certain message. And this barrier, Peter would learn, was the distinctions that he grew up making between Jews and non-Jews, between Jews and Gentiles. A distinction that had non-Jews worshiping the one true God outside the temple. And I would like to think that the last words of Christ would come ringing back in Peter's ears as he heard this message. But you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It doesn't stop there. And in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I would like to think that the message Peter preached on the day of Pentecost would sound an alarm in his mind when he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. I don't know if it actually did. But what we do know is that this is something that the Lord had in the works for quite a while, and now it was coming to fruition. We have laws today which attempt to prevent discrimination. But what our nation needs here today are Christians whose love is progressively removing the barriers between them and others. As pastor stated this past Wednesday, we will not be divided. There is only one race, the human race. And God created us all equal. And he loves everyone the same. Amen. We will stand united as the body of Christ and welcome in anyone. After all, that's what Christ did as an example for all of us. He was scorned for eating with sinners. He was despised for his choice crowd that he had around him. You know what his answer to all of that was? We see it in Luke chapter 5. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. After Peter's vision from God, he had a chance to apply what he had learned. In verses 16 to 21, we are told that after seeing the three the sheet three times, God said that there were, look, there's three men at your door. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Can we just stop and worship him for a moment? Hallelujah, Lord. God, we're so thankful for the message of your saving grace that arrived at our door one day. Hallelujah, Lord. God, you are so good to us. We worship you here today. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. God said that there's three men standing at your door right now. Peter was told to go back with him to Cornelius. And in verse 22, they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation, who is respected by the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. Cornelius, he demonstrated a hunger to know God, but he did not know the truth about Christ. The angel could have told him the gospel very easily. But God had something else in the works. God had something else that he wanted to begin to work in this entire situation. Instead, he directed him to seek out a believer in Christ. Do you know here this morning that it's important to be connected to the church? It's important. I don't care what the world says. The church is important. Worshiping God is essential. There is nothing. Hear me now this morning. There is nothing that can replace that. Amen. 
God has been working at putting together a group of people who he calls a holy nation, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood that has been called into his marvelous light. For Peter to meet with Cornelius meant that Peter had to cross barriers which were previously set in stone by his culture and religion. Peter, he invited these Gentiles to stay at his home. They share the meal being prepared for Peter. That was normally a big no-no. He went with them the next day back to Caesarea and entered the home of this Roman soldier. And Peter, he was so conscious of the social violations that he was making that he took with him six witnesses. Six. According to the Old Testament, Peter only needed to have two. He tripled that number because he knew that the day was coming when he would have to be called onto the carpet for his actions. And it just so happens that it's the very next chapter of Acts that we turn to that that takes place. Peter wanted three times as many witnesses as he needed to support his testimony that it was God that told him to go. It was God that told him to do what he was doing. The, this act of obedience, it demonstrates how God began to reach into the world of individuals that superseded anything that they could even imagine for themselves as a Jewish nation. The message was for all. Look what he says in verse 28. Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. He was referring to the teaching of the rabbis, not the teaching of the Old Testament. But God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. Verse 29, that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. I didn't raise any objection. I just, I just went. He made the connection that God was not talking about food, but he was talking about people. All people matter to God. All people are important to God. What he had been taught about people was wrong. God was teaching Peter that there was something fundamentally wrong with his belief system. All that he had been taught about Gentiles being unclean was able to be rewritten by the hand of God as the Lord reaches down and saves this non-Jewish man right before his eyes. Cornelius told Peter the story of the angel's visitation, and Peter goes right into a Bible study. Here's what you need to know about what Christ has done for you. He was grateful. Cornelius was so grateful that he fell at Peter's feet. And Peter, he reaches down and he pulls him back up and calls him his equal. I promise you that he had probably not believed that before. In that moment, Peter was sweeping away the prejudices that had been going on for centuries. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. In truth, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism. He doesn't prefer one person over the other. He's created us all equal. He loves us all the same. Verse 35, but in every nation, that the person who fears him and does righteousness is acceptable to him. The apostle did not mean that we are justified by works, but emphasized that a righteous, God-fearing Gentile is just as acceptable to God as a God-fearing Jew through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 36, he sent the message to the sons of Israel proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Look at this. Who is Lord of? Oh, say that again. He is Lord of? Yeah. 
Amen. He's Lord of all. For centuries, God spoke to the prophets as they proclaimed the good news to Israel. But Christ did not die just for the sins of the Jews. He rose for all. He lives for all. The good news is available to everyone. Do you know why? One word. Love. No wonder Paul wrote that everything without love is nothing. Even faith and great knowledge and even sacrifice are worth nothing without love. Everything we do in worship is nothing if it does not lead us to love. There is no greater good than to gain an understanding of what the Bible is saying in this simple but sublime sentence stated in the fourth chapter of 1 John that we see here on the screen this morning. God is love. God is love. The implications of these three words are so vast that this one message this morning, I can't do it justice. If God was not love, there would be no gospel. Because only love could come up with a solution to the fall of man and the sin problem. Only love would take on the guilt of the sinner and pay for the penalty of their freedom. His love met the demand of justice and set the prisoner free by taking the penalty on himself. This is what Jesus did for all of us. Not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. It is the very essence of His being. Love is not something that God does. It is something that He is. He is perfect love. Everything you believe about the Almighty must be consistent with this revelation. In Acts chapter 10, God uses a man named Cornelius to work on the heart of his disciple named Peter to break down the barriers of society who would say, you aren't good enough to have the grace of God work in your life. You aren't worthy of God's love. You don't deserve to know him. And if you want to be unloving toward anyone, you have to do it in the dark because the light of God's love will not support you. He commands us to love our neighbor, and it's by this, it's by this, the Bible tells us, that the world will know that we belong to him. It's going to be by the way that we love each other. Everyone can love family, friends, nation, and numerous other values and relationships. This ability to love anyone is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. John, he makes the radical statement in verse 7 that everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's the church's birthmark that shows that we belong to Him. The mark of the believer is love. It is love for God. Love for the family of God. Love for those still lost and not in the family. We are talking about an all-pervasive love that has no cutoff point. It is universal. Christ drew people to himself for a lot of reasons, but the primary one wasn't the fact that he could perform miracles, he could heal blinded eyes, he could make whole those who had leprosy. It was because he was the embodiment of perfect love. He was the visible expression of love. God is light, and he desires that we walk in light. God is righteous, and he desires that we walk in his righteousness. But God is also love, and he desires that we walk in that love. It can never be exhausted. It is eternal. 
It is infinite. It is holy. Love is omnipresent. Love is the door. Love is the good shepherd. Love is the vine, and we are its branches extended into this world. We assume that being almighty, the Lord can do whatever we feel he ought to do, or at least what he wants to do. We completely forget the enormous limitations that love puts on choices. Love is bound to respect the rights of others, and love is obligated to act justly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 8, Paul, he's writing this letter to the Corinthian church, and he tells them that this is what love is. This is what perfect love is. It is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. It goes beyond justice to show mercy. The Lord could by sheer power still the raging sea with His voice, with His spoken word. But He could not by power alone make the rich young ruler sell all and follow Him. He could not make the people of Jerusalem accept Him. Power was not enough. They had to choose to believe. And the only way that they would choose to believe is because of His love. Because God has all power, we think that He can do as He pleases whenever He pleases. And that may be true, but He won't because of love. That is why people blame God for everything that goes wrong. They assume that He could just prevent it if He chose to do so. We read in Revelation chapter 2 of how Jezebel has corrupted the church and has laid, led Christians into all kinds of perversion and adultery. And then listen to what Jesus says in verse 21. He says, I have given her time to repent, but she is unwilling. A God with all power, who can wipe out the whole planet if he so chooses as fast as we could wipe the sweat from our brow, and he is going to give this evil person a second chance to repent. It is the greatest wonder in the universe that a hell-bound sinner can become a heaven-bound saint because God's power is under the control of His love. We find from Scripture that God has many attributes. Scripture tells us that He is holy. He is righteous, but there is one attribute that is His very essence this morning. An attribute that encompasses who He is. And it's the one thing this world needs this morning. That's love. I could have Sister Mun come to the keys here this morning. As I begin to conclude, it's because of love that he came to earth. He endured temptations, mocking, disputes, corruptions. It's because he endured the possibility of being misunderstood. It's because of love that he wanted that he went to the cross willfully, died, was buried. And it's because of love that he rose again the third day, victorious. It's love that leaves the 99 and goes after the one. It's love 
that turns the house upside down just to find that one who was lost. And it's love that would visit the home of this Roman soldier to start, to start his message throughout the rest of the world. Tell this man about a man named Peter who could tell you about the gospel. And it's this that would give a vision to Peter, this same love, in order to change centuries of prejudice so that love could be extended farther than it has ever been. We see this displayed in the most beautiful way when we read the rest of the story in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. It says, well, Peter was still speaking these words. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Oh, thank you, Lord. Can we all stand this, in this place here this morning? Peter preaches Jesus Christ in the home of Cornelius. And as he begins to preach, the Holy Ghost floods into the room. Don't you dare call on clean what God has made clean. Don't you dare say that God can't save somebody. God can't reach somebody. God can't heal somebody. Don't you dare say that people are too young or too old to speak in tongues. Don't you dare say that this message isn't for them. Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It was prophesied. All flesh. All flesh. This morning, here we are together as the body of Christ. We're all made in His image. And He desires to extend that love to each and every one of us here this morning. And maybe you have felt unlovable at times. Could be from a number of different things, but you have convinced yourself that God doesn't want anything to do with you. God wants you to know this morning that it's His very nature to love you unconditionally. There's nothing that you can do. There's nowhere that you can go that, that would make you any less lovable to Him. The gospel message is for you and for your children and to all those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Listen to this, the last thing. Psalm chapter 100. This is a praise of David. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. All the lands. Oh, hallelujah. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not ourselves. We are his people. Come on now, we are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Listen to this. For the Lord, he is good. Oh, the Lord, he is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.